This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We are finally going to do something we promised for a while on this show. That is interview Dr. Ivan Schwab, professor of ophthalmology at UC Davis, about his fascinating book, Evolution's Witness, How Eyes Evolved. If you know any creationists, you may want to give them a call and advise them to first get a life and second to tune in to the second segment today. In our third segment, we're going to speak with an old friend, Franz Kossing, sadly, about the passing of Rex Babin. Rex passed away this week at age 49. He was a nationally renowned editorial cartoonist for the Sacramento Bee and certainly enlivened the political discussions that we have here in our state capital. But actually more than that, Rex was a national figure. And in addition to being a political cartoonist, he was also a substitute DJ in our public affairs lineup here at KDVS, having filled in more than once for Franz Kossing on her program, It's About You. Franz will join us in the third segment to talk about Rex Babin. But let us begin today's program as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date in question today is the 5th of April. And it was on April 5th in 1753 that Parliament founded the British Museum, one of the world's premier museums. And I highly recommend to you that if you ever go to London, you make sure to put that on your list of places to see. The British Empire extended all over the world, and British citizens were able to steal some of the great archaeologic and art treasures of antiquity. But I do want to say, in fairness to the British, they have preserved them very well, which is Unfortunately, more than we can say for a lot of the original host countries. So personally, I'm, you know, I'm okay with the Elgin marbles being in the British Museum. And although I guess I shouldn't confess this, I actually did touch the bottom of the Rosetta Stone. To which I have to somewhat hypocritically add, I I don't recommend that you do the same. For me, I, I just, I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself. On April 5th in 1794, French revolutionary leader Georges-Jacques Danton was executed by guillotine. Renowned for his satire, he said, Be sure you show the mob my head. It'll be a long time ere they see its like. Which, frankly, is a pretty good candidate for our quote of the day, but we'll come up with another one. And uh, on April 5th in 1859, British naturalist Charles Darwin sent to his publisher the first three chapters of The Origin of Species, which laid out his radical evolutionary theory of natural selection, which is kind of appropriate for today. We're going to have a lot more to say about that topic in segment two with Dr. Ivan Schwab. On this date in 1923, Firestone introduced tires with inflatable inner tubes. These so-called balloon tires offered better handling, but unfortunately also did usher in the era of the flat tire. And on April 5th in 1976, Howard Hughes, one of the world's richest men, died while en route from Acapulco to Houston, Texas. Howard Hughes inherited an estate of nearly a million dollars when his father died and grew that fortune, or perhaps more correctly, some of his aides grew that fortune into billions of dollars. He, uh, of course, had a reputation as an aircraft designer, aircraft builder, studio owner, Daredevil pilot, and in the end, the world's most famous recluse. 
On this date, 1976, emaciated and deranged from too little food and too many drugs, Hughes finally became so ill that his aides decided he needed medical treatment. But he died before that could be reached. Ironically, he ostensibly headed one of the world's largest medical foundations. Our quote of the day comes from Albert Einstein, who once said, The world is a dangerous place, not because of the people who are evil, but because of the people who don't do anything about it. Our quote of the day comes from cartoonist Frank Tigger, who once said, Progress is not created by contented people. Our joke of the day comes from Conan O'Brien, who said last week, Three people have won the Mega Millions lottery. You know what that means. Three more votes for Mitt Romney. Speaking of Mitt Romney, our stat of the day part one comes from public policy polling. And this is a strange one. It notes that 68% of Americans say it is inhumane to put a dog in a kennel on the roof of a car for a long car trip. When told that Mitt Romney once did this, 35% of those polled say this fact makes them less likely to vote for him. 55% said it won't affect their vote, but here's the part I like. 7% say they're more likely to vote for him. Who are these 7%? Ah, yes, people that don't like dogs. Our stat of the day, part two, comes from USA Today, which notes that Americans lost about 30 billion, with a B, $30 billion worth of cell phones last year, according to a new industry study. On average, consumers lose their phones once a year. Does that sound right? And finally, stat of the day, part three, according to Time magazine, the U.S. now has more than six million people in jail, a higher number than the Soviet Union imprisoned in the Gulag archipelago during Stalin's regime. Of course, the worst part about that, our incarcerated people are not building railroads and working in factories. Actually, we've got to backtrack one moment. I forgot to mention one thing that uh, experienced an anniversary. Because it doesn't date to April 5th today, but rather April 1st, last Sunday, which was that 100 years earlier than that date, Gilbert Bronco Billy Anderson and 52 players set foot in Niles, which is today in Fremont, to start the Western Division of the Chicago-based SNA Film Manufacturing Company. Over the next four years, SNA filmed more than 351 and two real Western comedies and dramas, including Charlie Chaplin's The Tramp. We're big fans of the Niles SNA Silent Film Museum and the fact that uh, pretty much every Saturday and Sunday throughout the year they play some classic silent films, silent cartoons, and an occasional talkie. At this point, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was a good week last week for astronauts. In the wake of a local decision here in Sacramento by Superior Court Judge Lloyd Conley. Apparently, Democrat Jose Fernandez was running for Congress and is running for Congress in California's 10th District. But a lawsuit filed by a firm with ties to his GOP opponent demanded that he not use the word astronaut next to his name on the official ballot on the grounds that an astronaut is not a title one carries for life. Yes, apparently the lawsuit filed by the Sacramento law firm of Bell, McAndrews, and Hiltachak argued that a ballot designation of astronaut for Hernandez would violate state elections because he has left NASA. 
The lawsuit said that ballot designations must reflect one's current profession or vocation or one held during the previous calendar year. Hernandez had sought a ballot designation of astronaut slash scientist slash engineer. Hernandez flew aboard the shuttle Discovery between August 28th and September 11th in 2009, but left NASA in January 2011. Conley said the fact that Hernandez worked for NASA for only two weeks in 2011 does not mean he cannot be called an astronaut that year. Good God. It was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for downsizing after Keller, Texas city manager Dan O'Leary determined that the best way to contend with a budget shortfall was to fire himself from his $176,000 a year job. If only the rest of the nation could follow the examples being set down in Keller, Texas. And it was an ugly week last week for, I don't know what to call this, um, political correctness, standing up for what's right. I don't know how to categorize this one, but the story is that New York City's new sensitivity guidelines for standardized tests now ban 50 undesirable words that, quote, might invoke unpleasant emotions, unquote, in students, including dancing, dinosaurs, and birthdays. The reasoning here is that fundamentalists might be upset by dinosaurs and dancing, while Jehovah's Witnesses don't celebrate birthdays. Also banned are Halloween and junk food. I guess the people that... uh, that proposed this ban have not gotten around to jackass yet. That's because maybe it strikes too close to home. And speaking of jackasses, article in the Sacramento Bee by Daryl Smith notes that despite Rick Santorum's claim, history is indeed taught at UC and CSU. Noted Mr. Smith, UC Davis's history department was thrown into the media spotlight when its course calendar was used to debunk Republican presidential candidate Rick Santorum's claim last Monday that California's public universities do not offer courses in American history. Santorum made the claim at a Wisconsin campaign stop on Monday, telling an audience, I was just reading something last night from the state of California, that seven or eight of the California system of universities don't even teach an American history course. It's not even available to be taught. MSNBC talk show host Rachel Maddow on her Monday broadcast called the Santorum statement 100% untrue and hysterically wrong. She then read from the University of California Davis course calendar, naming several courses from the Davis catalog and the class's instructors. Courses included History of the United States, The Gilded Age and Progressive Era, and War, Prosperity, and Depression, 1917-1945. Davis officials said they were pleased with the unexpected exposure. UC Davis spokesman Barry Schiller said, We were thrilled that a national TV audience was able to see the breadth of our course offerings in a very important subject. The article notes that American history is taught in nine of the ten campuses of the University of California system. The University of California, San Francisco, is a medical school and does not have such classes. It's a medical school! And the article goes on to note that American history is also taught in the 23 campuses of the California State University System. In the CSU system, students must complete coursework in U.S. history, constitution, and American ideals to earn a bachelor's degree. Mr. McMillan, it's time we brought back the Jackass of the Week award. And I think it should go to Rick Santorum, don't you?
And by the way, calling Rick Santorum a jackass is an opinion, which, like all opinions expressed in this program, do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regions of the University of California, most of whom we feel certain did take a history class somewhere along the way. For our mail department, we have a piece by Glenn that I'm keen to read, but we don't have time today, so we'll have to wait till next week. We also want to ask again, as we've asked before, what the hell's the matter with the Sacramento City Council? In case you haven't heard, the uh, Maloofs are trying to stiff the city for the $3 million development funds it needs to provide to go ahead with this uh, examination of building a new arena in the rail yards. Apparently, the NBA had to kick in $200,000 to partially fund it. Some of the city council doesn't notice that this is a bit of a problem. They did get together, I guess, last Tuesday to vote to spend the 200000 The Maloofs are saying they never agreed to pay for pre-development work. <laughs> Notes the article in the B by Ryan Lillis and Tony Bizjack. So city officials dispute that claim, saying the term sheet clearly lays out how the pre-development work would be funded. Councilwoman Angelique Ashby said, I need to know we have partners willing to go the distance with us. But she nevertheless supported moving forward with the proposal. Councilman Steve Cohn, another project supporter, said, I believe the city should stand up to its commitment, and, and I expect all of our partners to do likewise. I hope my Steve Cohn impression didn't make him sound overly masculine. Luckily, we've got two city council persons, Sandy Sheedy and Kevin McCarty, who are sensibly opposing this nonsense. We're going to try and bring Kevin McCarty in this program in the next couple weeks. We will also, on next week's program, try to bring someone in as a spokesperson for STOP, Sacramento Taxpayers Opposed to Pork. In a few minutes we have left in our first segment today, let's close by citing the Rolling Stone article by Tim Dickinson on Obama's war on pot. Noting in a shocking about-face, the administration has launched a major crackdown on medical marijuana, including a raid earlier this week in Oakland, wherein multiple federal agencies unleashed uh, an assault on one of California's most famous marijuana advocates, Richard Lee, founder of the renowned cannabis industry trade school known as Oaksterdam University. Article by Tim Dickinson notes that when he was running for president back in 2008, Barack Obama insisted that medical marijuana was an issue best left to state and local governments, saying, quote, I'm not going to be using Justice Department resources to try and circumvent state laws on this issue, unquote. He promised to end Bush administration's high-profile raids on providers of medical pot, which is legal in 16 states and the District of Columbia. But, notes Mr. Dickinson, over the past year, the Obama administration has quietly unleashed a multi-agency crackdown on medical cannabis that goes far beyond anything undertaken by George W. Bush. The feds are busting growers who operate in full compliance with state laws, vowing to seize the property of anyone who dares even to rent to legal pot dispensaries and threatening to imprison state employees responsible for regulating medical marijuana. Have we done the Jackass of the Week award? Uh, yes. Too bad, because I think it, there's probably two people earning it this week. The article notes that back in March of 2009, Attorney General Eric Holder emphasized the Justice Department would only target medical marijuana providers who violate both federal and state law. The original hands-off policy was codified in a Justice Department memo written in October of 2009 by Deputy Attorney General David Ogden. The so-called Ogden memo advised federal law enforcement officials that the rational use of its limited investigative and prosecutorial resources 
meant that medical marijuana patients and their caregivers who operate in clear and unambiguous compliance with existing state laws could be left alone. Notes the piece, the reversal began at the Drug Enforcement Agency with Michelle Lenhart, a holdover from the Bush administration who was renominated by Obama to head the DEA, an anti-medical marijuana hardliner. Lenhart had been rebuked in 2008 by House Judiciary Chairman John Conyers for targeting dispensaries with tactics, quote, typically reserved for the worst drug traffickers and kingpins, unquote. Her views on the larger drug war were so perverse, in fact, that last year she cited the slaughter of nearly 1,000 Mexican children by the drug cartels as a counterintuitive, quote, sign of success in the fight against drugs, unquote. You know what? This piece deserves uh, going over, I think, with a fine-tooth comb because what's going on is pretty frightening. Notes the article, the administration's retreat on medical pot is certainly consistent with its broader election year strategy of seeking to outflank Republicans on everything from free trade to offshore drilling. Obama's advisors may be betting that a tough-on-pot stance will shore up the president's support among seniors in November, as well as voters in southern swing states like Virginia and North Carolina that are less favorable to drug reform. But the president, notes the article, could pay a steep price for his anti-pot crackdown this fall, particularly if it winds up alienating young voters in swing states like Colorado, where two-thirds of the residents support medical marijuana. Anyway, we need to take a break, I think. Uh, I think we'll go out with a quote from... Rolling Stone's threat assessment, described as the good, the bad, and the scary, where they rank various news items from with us to against us. Ranking surprisingly high on the with us scale was former Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, who commented on the GOP field by saying, one is a practicing polygamist, and he's not even the Mormon. (laughs) On that note, let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. 